Buddhist Geeks Discover the Emerging Face of Buddhism. Episode 309 Digital Dharma Gates. We're joined this week by meditation entrepreneur Rohan Gunatilika to talk about his newly released app, Buddhify 2, as well as the world of indie Buddhism. Buddhist Geeks is supported largely by the generosity of our listeners. If you like what we're doing, please consider making a one-time or monthly recurring donation by visiting BuddhistGeeks.com forward slash donate. Hello, Buddhist Geeks. This is Vince Horn, and I'm joined today on Google Hangout here in the Buddhist Geeks community uh, with Rohan Gunatilika our good friend and uh, creator of the Budify app. And we're here today to uh, chat about Budify, see where it's at, um, and talk a little bit about indie Buddhism. So great to have you here, man. Yeah, great to be here, Vince. Good to be in the new style Google Hangout system. Yeah. You know, I wanted to start this conversation by going back a few years to the Buddhist Geeks conference in 2011 when we were in Los Angeles. And as you remember, you know, that was that was our first event together. We put it on, uh, just barely kind of made it happen in a way. Yeah, it was pretty, it was a good experience. Looking back, it was a great experience. <laughs> yeah, it was quite fun. There's and some hairy moments, but yeah, it was great. There were some hairy moments, and uh, I remember you behind the curtain. You were kind of like the wizard behind the curtain, <laughs> operating everything, um, making sure nothing failed. You know, and, and during that conference, uh, you know, you gave a, a short talk on uh, we need more Buddhist startups. That was the title of the talk, yeah. and I, I remember in in that talk that you mentioned that you were working on your own project along those lines, uh, Budify. And I, from what I recall, you were talking about how it'd be really great for us in the sort of Buddhist community to take ownership for the fact that this whole explosion of interest in meditation, you know, mindfulness and the secular meditation movement, that, you know, we actually, instead of sort of just kind of complaining and criticizing what's happening and how it's being watered down, that we actually have an opportunity to step up and um, shape the conversation by doing projects and doing things in the space. Yeah, I thought that was really important. I, I still think it's important that people have a lot of issues with the the, the sort of secular mindfulness movement and as if it's going to go away and they have issues around quality and authenticity and stuff and so that yeah the sort of the central challenge of my talk was it's happening on our watch if we don't actively get involved in it and make it better um, then it won't be as good as it can be and so that was the the challenge really to that in that talk. Yeah and it's been what almost three years now and um, it seems like all of those trends have intensified in ways. You know, yeah. Mindfulness is it's even bigger than it was before. It seems like you can't go a week without like an article in the New York Times or in some other major publication about mindfulness. I know um, it's great for app sales. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and in that period of time, you also you know, launched Budify, the first version, which was like a completely bootstrapped um, app. It was your first app that you'd made. Um, and you basically, you know, when we've talked about this before on the show, but you kind of took took an approach of of trying to bring, um, you know, your sort of unique style of uh, presenting meditation, not as sitting first, but actually meditation on the go. And then since then, um, Budify One, version one was out for what, like a year and a half or two years? Pretty much two years, pretty much two years, yeah. Yeah, and it was quite, I mean, pretty successful in terms of apps. I mean, most apps aren't, aren't even downloaded at all. 
um, you know, they just yeah, kind of sit in yeah. the app store. That's the general rule. Um, a lot of people think that all apps sell billions and billions of units because that's what you hear about in the press. But the reality is that effectively, the vast majority of them get effectively zero downloads. And right. so, yes, yeah, so what if I won did pretty well over the two years? It we had about thirty thousand sales or downloads. So it was a what I now call a sort of modest cult success. Yeah, exactly. And in the last several months, you've been working on the kind of second iteration of that, Budify 2. Um, I was wondering if you could share a little bit about kind of what kinds of things you did with the second version that were different, what you changed, what you added, um, and then also um, how well it's been doing, because it's been out for about a month now, and it's actually been more successful. So um, yeah, it'd be great so, to hear uh, about that. Sure. So I think um, Budify 1 um, was an experiment. A, a sort of a, a decent prototype, uh, and the core concept of Budify is meditation for wherever you are. Uh, so the basic idea of like uh, you tell the app where you, what you're doing, and then it delivers you custom design tracks for those specific locations. And the uh, first app only had four locations as a as a test, and um, so the new one has sixteen. Well, technically fifteen. And so there's loads more content and loads more options is sort of the first main difference. Uh, and a lot of those options are based on what a lot of our users uh, were sort of asking for, interested in. So stuff around sleep, stuff around moments of stress, stuff around eating and so on. And quite distinctive in this one is the idea that you can practice whilst you're online, while you're actually working online or browsing. And so that's one big area for the improvement is around content. And the sort of quality of that is that technically we've built it and just we've built it in a much more clever way, I guess, um, and in such a way that we can add uh, lots more content to the app over over time. And all we have to do is write and record a track and then we drop it in the back end and it appears magically in, uh, on people's phones um, without any updates or anything. And so just that sort of technical system is a massive improvement. Uh, that's good for the user and also good for uh, us as a sort of developer. Another really striking difference is just visually, it's a lot better. When I look at the first app now, it just feels a bit like at the time it was quite fun. I really liked it. But um, it feels a bit hokey now and a bit sort of dated. But we put a lot of time and attention and skill actually into the visual design for this new one, led by a lady called Steph Pozovec, who's she's a really talented um, data artist and graphic designer. And so uh, we put a lot of it. We really increased the the aesthetic, and then we just added some extra features. Nothing spectacular, like sort of relatively straightforward meditation app features like a timer and some tips and and some stats uh but we we think we've done them in such a way that uh is just quite elegant and um yeah so that, that's that, that's been the main difference and then in the last month um, since you've released it you i just saw a post that you said you basically the app's been downloaded some twenty thousand times so almost two-thirds yeah. the original one in just a month yeah, and that's really interesting. So, uh, yeah, so in four weeks, less than a month, in four weeks, we've uh, had 20,000 people around the world have downloaded it. And remember, this time, 
it's only on iOS 7. Um, so it's only on Apple devices and also Apple devices with the latest operating system. So uh, whereas the first one was on Android as well. So that's interesting. I think there's, there's a number of different reasons why I think um, uh, it's essentially uh, had so much, much, much bigger usage than before. One is, um, yes, the app is a lot better and within its category, quite distinctive. Uh, we get a lot of comments from people who use a lot of different meditation apps. So that's really interesting to see how uh, people do that. Also, like you said, like even in two years, we've seen mindfulness as a, a meditation as a thing grow its interest. So that fact has helped. And I don't know what the stats are on phone ownership or iPhone ownership, but maybe that's gone up as well. Um, mm. So I think all these factors together, because uh, we've not, we've had some good coverage media wise, but it's, we've had less than we did last time for sort of mainstream media coverage. Um, we've had two or three really nice features, but definitely not as much as last time. So it's sort of interesting to sort of try and work out. Um, but I, I think it's, it's actually been quite a big uh, word of mouth type product. Um, lots of people are gifting it to their friends. Uh, there's lots of uh, social media activity around it. Um, we've had 500 people message me through the app saying what they like about it, saying about suggestions for new meditations. So people are just really engaging with it. I looked at some stats around like how, how long they use the app for on a regular time. And the average uh, length of time that people stay on the app is about 16 minutes, which is actually longer than most the majority of the tracks. And so people are like clearly engaging with it in really interesting ways and that's really encouraging because like uh over the year we're going to improve it and uh, put more content in it that's so cool so you know going back three years talking about you know wanting there to be more buddhist startups you know to kind of shape this conversation about how meditation is received and now you know in some ways you've done that and you're doing that um what are your thoughts you know looking back over the last few years what are your thoughts on this process of kind of taking your own interest and 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 care for for meditation practice and you know and and for those people that don't know I mean you're you're not like a you know it's not like you started meditating last year and you've just been doing it for a short period like this is something it feels you've been like doing. that some, it feels like that sometimes <laughs> sure sure I mean um, any any uh, any person who's meditated for a long time I think <laughs> can relate to that but. But you know what I mean. The, a lot yeah, of sure. a lot of the stuff out there, you know, I think it's fair to say that people are seeing like an opportunity to make money or to create something. Yeah. And you know, it's there aren't as many folks who you know have had lifelong uh, practices and who've come out of you know um, the kind of rigorous training background that you have. So um, I'm curious, given that background and given you know your initial challenge to the kind of Buddhist community, how are you thinking about this now? Mm. I sort of two things to that. One is the felt experience of it is incredibly exciting. Uh, the incredible luxury of being able to combine a personal interest and a personal passion and together with one's work and it actually be a thing that might be viable is um, brings a lot of uh, joy and energy. And so I feel very sort of privileged and excited to be in this position is still a sort of a decent way to go before my company is like a sort of full-time 
working in this area, but signs are good. And so that's really exciting. And it's been really nice in the last two years, personally, to think like to have, but actually through this kind of work, you're able to support a lot of other people. And that's, is really uh, nice. And I think, um, and there's a lot of, there's sort of a lot of responsibility that comes with that. It feels very different to a teacher role, which is somewhat something I'm, I'm not interested in, or I think, uh, yeah, it's just not something that's really I've ever looked into. But it's like a slightly different role, which is a, uh, someone who's sharing elements of practice in a new way and having to deal with the, the benefits and the, some of the, the challenges that come with that as well. So that's been a really interesting thing. And it also has been really great because I have always had some professional role in technology in some description before. It's really it's been interesting what in within technology circles and communities and startup communities in the UK that I know better that uh, definitely in the last two years, the fact that I work in this area has more credibility to it now. Um, before two years ago, it felt like a bit of a wacky thing, mm-hmm. uh, like a wacky side thing, but I think uh, more and more in the mainstream uh, technology scene, just people are recognizing that actually this is a this is a kind this is an area of work which has some legs to it, and we're seeing a, we're seeing essentially a, a marketplace emerge and start to grow a little, and I think that's really exciting. And I think uh, I said there was a sort of two parts to it. I think the second part is I still don't think we have enough Buddhist startups. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, Buddhist startups is a is a is a sort of a tag term for people doing sort of progressive work in contemplative technologies. And in my, in my case, I'm most interested in what I call pop technologies. So things that uh, your man on the street or your a lady on the street can adopt quickly and get into rather than, because um, there's, like, there's some really interesting stuff happening around headset technologies. And we're going to see two or three really cool bits of kit uh, come on sale this year. And I yeah. think that's all, that's all great, but, it takes a lot to wear a weird headset out in the coffee shop <laughs> and um, maybe, not Google Glass. maybe not in Boulder, but definitely here in Glasgow, it's Scotland. So, um, so it's a small, I'm interested in how do we use the technologies that people already really comfortable with to uh, bring more positive uh, mental qualities to their lives. And I think uh, we've not, I don't think we've seen as much, innovation in just in this very small area of say meditation apps as I think we could have uh so I think there's still a but but that's again that's an opportunity I don't think it's not a criticism or anything it's just a sort of it's my perception of how that marketplace is like if you just go through if you just um a lot of them are very similar um they just you can just sort of switch out a voice or a teaching style and um you couldn't really tell the difference between a lot of things and so uh but that's also a a problem with places like the app store anyway so yeah so that's sort of where i'm at yeah gotcha and uh, i mean that sort of ties in in some ways i think to the, the theme that we wanted to explore you know if there is a lot of opportunity you know in the space to to innovate still and there's plenty of plenty of need for it what is this idea of uh, quote-unquote indie buddhism 
and you know how does that tie into this notion of like um, kind of innovating in the kind of contemplative technology meditation space? Yeah, so um, I've been <laughs> I've been playing a lot of games recently, and I pretend that it's this is research, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, um, I. And so I'm interested in the games industry. It's a big, it's a big deal here in Scotland. There are companies here in Scotland, which is a, it's a small, it's a small country, and it's a company here called Rockstar North, who uh, make Grand the Grand Theft Auto series is, is based in Scotland. So games in Scotland is like is an important industry, and so as someone who works sort of in technology and creative industries, it's something I'm quite aware of. And well, typically you talk about two two types of. Uh, game developers, the sort of all types of games. One is the what's called the AAA type game, the big blockbuster console game. So your Grand Theft Auto, your Halo, your Bioshock, your FIFA 2014, or your Maddens, or whatever, like the big sure. household name games. And then uh, which are developed and designed by hundreds of people, big organizations, incredibly high cost bases. And they sell, they're designed to sell millions and millions of units. The other side of the games industry is the indie game sector or indie game scene, where typically companies are much smaller, sometimes just one or two people. Uh, and they publish through, in the main, slightly different platforms because it costs a lot of money to publish on a big console like an Xbox or a PlayStation. And so right. uh, it's, a, it's a lot cheaper to publish through a mobile phone um, or through a PC game. So right. mobile games and PC games or Mac games are relatively sort of cheap to publish through. And so you, um, because they're cheaper to publish through, you see a lot of lot more innovation in the indie game sector. Different styles of games, different sort of, so much different, so much creativity. Um, and a lot of that creativity goes eventually uh, is incorporated into AAA games, um, and sometimes indie games get massive, like Minecraft, mm. and you see those games be essentially become giant blockbuster games. And so I've been sort of thinking about the sort of different style of um, uh, and trying to understand myself within using that analogy. And um, I started thinking about like sort of what's a What's the AAA game equivalent in in the meditation world? That's the for me. That's the sort of established traditional. Let's call them sort of houses or centers or teaching models, like the Dalai Lama books or Thich Nhat Hanh books or things. Yeah. Like oh, yeah. That the let's call them publishers of wisdom that publish in either literally through books or through uh, face to face teaching or um, the IMS uh, sort of that's in insight tradition uh, center, a group of centers around the world where there's uh, really strict sort of quality control. Uh, they have sort of large capacity and relatively large budgets. And you sort of, you know what you're getting. When you buy Tomb Raider, you sort of know what you're getting. Um, and you know it's going to wow. be good. Wow, I like that you just followed uh, IMS <laughs> and Spirit Rock with Tomb Raider. That's a great <laughs> contrast. <laughs> Uh, and like they do reboots, like the Tomb, Tomb Raider just did a reboot, and it's actually been written by a woman for the first time uh, recently. I met recently, so so new things come in, um, mm. but you know you know this the style and the story. But then, so it made me just think that well, maybe what I'm doing is essentially 
the equivalent of like an indie because if I may, if Buddhify was a game, it'd be an indie game. It's essentially the this idea of indie Buddhism, where or indie contemplative practice, or whatever you want to talk or however you want to use it, which is people who have quality uh, experiences or teaching or products or services to share, but um, don't have the level of resources or um, profile of the big houses, be that Rockstar Games or Guy House or IMS and so on. Sure, um, sure. And that for me is a really useful uh, metaphor because of one more level of subtlety, which is within the game sector, there's also this thing called gamification, which is where um, you take uh, something and you pretend to make it into a game by adding points or badges, things like um, all the things like Foursquare or Nike Fuel Bands, are things which are not really games, but they use game mechanics as a way to engage people. And I think that's the equivalent of what we're seeing now within the sort of pop mindfulness movement. Because um, it's such a big buzzword, uh, everyone knows that. It's, it's used in relatively sloppy ways. It's often taught in like a sort of, hey, I've done a two-week mindfulness instructor course, so now I'm a mindfulness teacher. And that sort of uh, relatively superficial experience or way expression is for me very similar to gamification. And because, because I think for me, Buddhify gets accused of being sort of merc mindfulness and being a bit sort of low end and a bit sort of gimmicky. But actually, the, the, that's why I think this uh, analogy is important because it's not, it's based on well, at least sort of seven years of experience. And so it has authenticity to it. And it, so um, to make a good indie game takes a lot of skill. And to make a good mindfulness app and a, and a good business or venture based around contemplation or mindfulness or meditation takes a lot of skill. Um, it's not the same thing as just doing something quite superficial. And so that's that's a, that's the sort of metaphor that I've been using a lot, just to help me understand my, uh, my role and the sort of where my company can go and how it fits in the in the scheme of things. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Um, one of the folks that we interviewed a while back was um, you know Jonathan Blow, who's an indie game developer who does. Uh, oh yeah, extraordinary! His new game's coming out this year, isn't it? Yeah, I can't wait to see it. The Witness uh, on PlayStation, right? And you know he did the the funky time-bending game braid before that and you know I, I found it really interesting talking to him because I had a sense like here's this person who is you know um, developing something that is on a major platform you know and, and not every like you said not every indie game developer is able to do that um, but you know because of his early success doing PC games he's been able to kind of expand there and yet he's he's in this kind of funky position where he can do very uh, non-traditional stuff because he's in that position. He doesn't have to kind of do the AAA gaming thing. He doesn't have yeah. to follow um, some prescribed route for how you make a, like a blockbuster. So I, I find the analogy is interesting because it sort of implies that you know, as an indie Buddhist you know, game creator or app creator or whatever you're creating, um, you, in one sense, you don't have to follow the prescribed pathways that exist. Yeah, um, and it, yeah, and th that's really important because that's that's where the creativity comes into to it. 
that I think that's what I feel is really missing in this space is really invention and doing something quite remarkably different. And I think that's where the opportunity is. I think indie makers can afford to do that because they don't, they're not restricted. They don't have big corporate bosses sort of with focus groups and sort of saying we must give, we must give them exactly the same thing that they had last time, but with a two after the name um, and a slightly different story. And we need the, the, the games industry needs that creativity. Uh, that's what I'm really interested in now is sort of, I could spend the next two, three years making more audio instruction meditation things. Uh, but for me, I don't think that's where create the creativity is. Uh, I'm interested in like how, what are the next, what's the next new, like, so the Budify 2 was, Budify 2 essentially is the, the best possible, we're trying to be the best possible execution of the simple idea meditation for where you are. And we can refine the product and make it sort of make some better content and more content, but in a way that that's, that's done. Yes. So um, I'm, I'm interested in like, so what's the next question? Um, what's the next uh, part of our lives or um, uh, that maybe needs more compassion, insight and awareness? And let's, be, let's come up with some creative solutions of how to do that. Um, and that's, that's for me the most alive sort of inquiry and question right now. Yes. And do you see people, I mean, obviously there are folks out there who are doing this kind of thing. Like what, what does the field look like for, from where you're standing in terms of the, the indie Buddhist um, perspective? Are, are you seeing more folks entering that space? I mean, I've certainly noticed there, there's an increase in the number of folks doing that kind of work. And it's kind of exciting. Like we just talked to Mikey Siegel who, um, you know, he's trying to do a PhD program at MIT in enlightenment engineering. You know, the, the, there is some fascinating stuff happening um, with technologists and designers. And yet yeah. it does feel like there's also, like you're saying before, plenty of opportunity for things to, I still want a freaking iPhone app that, that can just track my meditation and automatically connect with some of these, uh, you know, web automation services like Ift and Zapier so I can have my own meditation data. You know, I, I see plenty of problems that have yet to be solved, you know, for in the meditation space. What, what's your perspective on it? What are you seeing? Mm, I think, yeah, I think what we're seeing in the main is people who have good meditation backgrounds solving meditation problems uh, or they're trying to, that whole, that term sort of enlightenment engineering, they're trying to use technology to accelerate or accelerate some developmental processes. Mm -hmm. That's sort of where I see the majority of stuff. Yeah. Um, I would say that I'm interested in a slightly different space, which is I'm, I'm interested in starting with normal everyday human behavior and then seeing what small things can be done in different contexts to uh, bring some contemplative skills to that domain rather than sort of starting from the, the real sort of traditional practice space. So what literally what I'm doing, so I, I sort of joked before that like I'm playing games as research, but I actually literally am. I'm, I'm playing, I'm playing, so the, the top sort of five, like there's like, like, so last year was a really, really interesting year for indie games and sort of narrative led games, games like 
gone home. Um, the Stanley Powerball. Uh, th those are probably the the most sort of uh, well known ones. But um, also like Papers Please. I'm like playing these games and thinking, how can this actually? What might a game that's of as high quality as this also uh, have some sort of contemplative layer to it or some contemplative outcome. Well, that's the sort of um, thing that I want to explore because because uh, if you think about meditation games, uh, there's just this idea of a meditation game. There's one way of doing that, which is, hey, let's make meditation into a game. Hey, here's a badge. You did 20 minutes, three days in a row. Um, here's your badge. But actually, I'm, I'm interested in how do you make a great game that is a great game in its own right, mm -hmm. but has, is, is, is contemplative in its, in its core. Um, and so uh, that's, the, that's the sort of the, the difference, I think, between. Um, and I, I think there are, um, there are less people doing that. And I think that it's all part of a definitely a growing movement. And it, it's a sort of a natural, it's a natural um, uh, growth in a community as people, as more and more people have sort of a twin literacy in contemporary practice and are technologists as well. Um, that's only gonna, that's only gonna get more. And so that's, that's really exciting that we're gonna have more people interested in making stuff who have, who understand both these worlds. Um, yes. So, so it's sort of like the difference between kind of leading with uh, a, a kind of formal contemplative path and trying to adapt it to the technological mediums yeah. that we have versus infusing, this is kind of how I'm hearing it, infusing contemplative, uh, like a contemplative experience into a really good game or, or I, I could imagine you could go even further, a really good piece of art or really good music, like there's different kind of forms in which that might uh, yeah. play out. Yeah, exactly. And I don't, because I think all the sort of traditional ways of developing ourselves through contemplative practice work. And I, I'm really interested in how we just excite and uh, get more people curious in contemplative practice. Because the more, I, I, I passionately believe actually that sort of strong uh, communities such as Buddhist Geeks community or face-to-face -face sanghas around the world and good teaching relationships are what really um, uh, help our development, and there are there are um, definitely lots more opportunities in which to to build that sort of social side of practice. But I think what is missing is sort of really different and uh, different ways of exciting people in the practice in the first place. Uh, that feels like a that feels like a really big opportunity, and so that's really. I, so for Buddhify, that's one of the one. That's one of the main ambitions of Buddhify is just to um, give people an, a, an accessible route into practice. And it's not the last thing I want from Buddha from Buddhify is people just to use Buddhify and then that's it. Right. The assumption is that enough of people who use Buddhify go actually. Oh, there's actually a lot more to this maybe than uh, I knew, and I'll maybe I'll go to that class or that course that sort of bodhisattva vow around, is it around sort of, I'm, I'm not really, that's not my, my scene so much, but the whole thing around uh, the doors to the Dharma. And I yeah. think there's a new order of magnitude of doors 
through digital channels. Yes. And uh, and so we need right, we need more sort of pathways, I think. Uh, so we need to sort of um, yeah, that's sort of I'm rambling now. <laughs> <laughs> no, I hear you. It's it's this kind of uh, from the Zen, you know, from the Zen kind of bodhisattva vows, you know, Dharma gates are numberless. I vow, you know, I vow to enter all of them. And I I sort of yeah. hear what you're saying is Dharma Dharma gates are numberless and growing. And I vow to, you know, help construct some of these and yeah. help people, you know, find their way through them. Yeah, exactly. Beautiful. Um, and you're not alone in that, which I, which is good news. Yeah, and I think this, that's what's so exciting is that I think there is a growing community of people working in this space, and I think it will grow. And I think we need each other to get better. Yes. Um, and so I really feel that at a, at a moment like this where it's a relatively early and emerging and undefined area, people often ask me who my competition is. I think there is no comp- like there's no competition because the sort of the size of the audience isn't big enough to, for that to be an issue. I think I'm, anyone who says, ask me what your competition is, it comes from a, comes from a value set or, or, or a point of view that I'm not uh, necessarily uh, subscribing to. But I think this, I think for me, it's around, there's, there's no one style of practice or one technique to rule them all. We all know that different part, different times of our life, we appreciate different uh, styles and emphases and whole schools sometimes as well. Um, and uh, we need to, within the this sort of new domain, we need to start, because I don't think a Tibetan school doesn't feel it's in competition with a Zen school or in competition with a Vipassana school. That's not really how this stuff works. Um, but we sort of need, well, we sort of, we, I, I think we benefit as a, as a 21st century practice community from having all those voices. And so the more instances and examples of contemplative technology that exists, the better we'll all, we'll all be for it. Join us for the fourth annual Buddhist Geeks Conference, hosted in partnership with Mindful Cyborgs and Shambhala Sun from October 16th through the 19th in beautiful Boulder, Colorado. This year's conference will be exploring the convergence of Buddhism with modern culture and technology through informative keynote presentations, idea-packed TED-style talks, self-organizing community dialogues, and contemplative workshops and practice periods. This year's list of presenters includes the world's most quantified man, Chris Dancy, abbot of the village Zendo in New York City, Roshi Pat Enkyo O'Hara, and pragmatic Dharma provocateur, Daniel Ingram, as well as many others. For more information and to register, visit BuddhistGeeks.com conference. After nearly a year in private beta, the Buddhist Geeks Network is now open for any independent practitioners who want to engage in interdependent practice. You can find out more about the Buddhist Geeks Network by visiting BuddhistGeeks.network. And if you'd like to join the community and join us in regular social meditation practice 
or other events that we host there in the network, all freely offered, you're very welcome to do so, again, by visiting BuddhistGeeks.network. Love to see you there.